church and I tell you, just being here for these last uh, few moments and worshipping with you, just um, I, I felt encouraged in just hearing uh, you words that have come out and uh, hearing about just that extravagant grace. And um, as, as we were worshipping, I was just reminded of something that happened to me a little while ago, and I just felt, felt I should share it. I don't normally share this at all, but I um, just felt I should share it with you. And um, it was... Uh, my wife and I, we, um, I live in Birmingham, by the way, not far away from here, so it's quite nice being able to be quite uh, um, close rather than driving hundreds of miles to go and speak somewhere. So uh, it's, it's lovely. I feel fresh this morning, not have had, having not had a, a long drive to be with you. Um, but um, we, we, we were sorting our house out. We needed a new kitchen, and um, we decided to go to Ikea and um, go and have a look in and see what kitchens they had. And uh, we've got three daughters. Our eldest daughter has um, cerebral palsy, and um, she's in a wheelchair. And um, we went round IKEA, found um, the kitchen department, and started to have a look at kitchens. And uh, we got quite engrossed in looking at the different kitchens, and uh, we didn't realize that our eldest daughter, who was in a wheelchair, had disappeared. And um, so about, I don't know how long she'd gone for, but um, my wife said, have you seen Ruby? And I was like, no, have you seen Ruby? I thought she was with you. And you know that conversation that goes on, kind of almost blaming each other for, for the, our missing daughter. And um, we, we just, we walked around, couldn't find her anywhere. So we went to one of the shop assistants and said, um, oh, we've lost our daughter, could you help us? And um, they said, yeah, what does she look like? So we said, well, she's got bright orange hair and um, she's in a wheelchair. And they looked at us as if we were just the worst parents in the world. <laughs> you know, how could you leave your daughter and lose a daughter in a wheelchair? Um, and uh, anyway, they said, look, don't worry, we'll find her. They closed down the store immediately. They wouldn't let anyone out until she was found, which I thought was quite impressive. And then um, they, took us, they showed us this room where there's um, just screens everywhere where you can see the whole shop. I mean, you can see everything. Uh, there are hidden screen, uh, hidden um, cameras that you wouldn't really notice were there. But just amazing. And, and within seconds, they found her. She was in the lighting department, playing with all the light switches and everything. Um, but it, something, just this morning, as, I was, as God reminded me of that, I, I, was just, I just felt that God wanted to encourage you this morning to let you know that actually... You know, our perspective was at that point, you know, we'd lost her. We didn't know where she was. And, and maybe this morning you were at a point where you feel a bit lost and not sure quite where you're heading, where you're going, or what's around the corner, what's happening next. God, you just maybe feel a little bit um, with all the different things that have happened and the shifts that have taken place. You might be thinking, God, what is going on? Where are you? And just as we went into that room and saw all the screens and suddenly saw things from another perspective, I just sense God what is wanting to take you into a new place where actually we see things not from our perspective where, the, where things seem really challenging and really difficult now, but in a space where, hey, we see the hope, we see the future, we see actually God has a plan. God is in the middle of doing something quite significant that we can step into and join him in. And um, I don't know if, if that's just for one or two individuals or for you as a church, but I just felt God wanted um, you to receive that this morning. Is that okay? 
Brilliant. Well, I've come this morning with a few things that I'd love to, um, to give to you. One is a book called God Smuggler. Has anyone read this book? A few of you. Um, Brother Andrew, who wrote this book um, quite a long time ago, he's the founder of Open Doors, and uh, he, uh, 65 years ago, um, God spoke to him through Revelation chapter 3, which says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And God clearly spoke to him and, and told him to go and support the persecuted church. But that at the time, in um, Eastern Europe, and then the former Soviet Union, behind the Iron Curtain, and, uh, and then into China, and smuggled um, Bibles across borders where Bibles should never go in his blue VW Beetle. Well, my dad read this book to me when I was nine years old. And we were on, on holiday in Cornwall. And I, we used to go to the same farm every year as a, fr- a friend of the family. Uh, and we, used to get, uh, we used to pay one pound a night to stay in our caravan. And each morning after breakfast, my dad would read a chapter of a book to us. And um, normally, I'm just being honest now, normally I would be thinking, Dad, hurry up, get to the end of the chapter because I want to get to the beach to go surfing because I love surfing and I still do. Um, but when he read this to us, He got to the end of a chapter, and I was like, Dad, read the next one, read the next one, and it really got me. And I'll never forget it. And um, my faith was stirred, and I suddenly realized, hey, actually following Jesus is an adventure. And actually, God wants us to take some risks and do things with him. And anyway, if you'd like to, if maybe you've read it before, Brother Andrew died at the end of last year, well, he went to glory, and um, we've been... Um, just remembering his life and uh, obviously really missing him, but also just celebrating all that God achieved through his life. Um, but um, I, when I started at Open Doors, I went to, to meet him. This was 10 years ago. Uh, he's, he was in the Netherlands. That's where he lives. And uh, I sat in his lounge and I said, Brother Andrew, someone starting out in this ministry, what advice would you give to me? And uh, he looked me in the eye and he said, if I have my time again, I would take more risks. This is a man who took huge risks for Jesus. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. If I'm honest, I like to, to live my life fairly safe. I like to stay reasonably comfortable. You know, maybe a, a few calculated risks here and there. But sometimes, you know, God calls us to step out of our comfort zone and take a risk. And I know that this book will really inspire you and encourage you. And he, read, he wrote another chapter um, before he died, and it's in this copy. And if you like one, then def- I'd love to give you one, just as a thank you for um, inviting me today. And um, the only thing is, it's just the only copy I have with me. <laughs> so um, if you'd like one, then I have some postcards somewhere. Don't know where it's gone. But um, they're, they're on the table at the back. And I'm just put your name and address on there. Tick the box to say, please send me a free copy of God's Smuggler. And we'd love to send that to you. And if you want to, there's no pressure to, but if you want to receive just ongoing, um, uh, you know, a monthly just update of what's happening around the persecuted church, you can tick that box too if, if you want to, just to help you pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. But um, yeah, do, do take that if you can. The other thing is we produce each year something called the World Watch List, which takes you through the top 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to live as a follower of Jesus. We launch it each year in Parliament. In fact, Ian came with us um, in January when we launched it in Parliament. We had about 94, I think, MPs there. Um, Just incredible time, wasn't it, hearing three stories of persecuted Christians. 
And um, you could, the, the room was uh, just, you could hear, it, you could see that people were captivated as they listened to the stories and then the things that we were asking um, members of parliament to do in response. But um, this booklet just takes you through those countries, just giving you a little bit of information about each country, the source of persecution, um, what it's like for Christians living there, and then three simple prayer points, just three, to pray for each country. And uh, there are 50 countries, and so you might want to take one each week to pray for. Um, but if you're, if you're interested in that and you want to stand with our brothers and sisters around the world, then please take one. And, um, and use that to pray for the persecuted church. But then also we have um, a version for children and families. It's this little passport, and it's done in a, in a child-friendly way. And um, you can use it to, to go through on your little journey around um, the, the map, which is also here. And uh, there's little stories and things to color in and all that kind of stuff for children. Um, if that's something that would be helpful for you to do as a just to encourage you to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and that's there on the table too please do um, take them and use them they're free and we'd love you to to make use of that fantastic i know that you've been actually could we could we quickly watch there's a video that um uh, i'd love you to see which just goes through the top 10 countries uh, of the world watch list it's a short video it just gives you a little bit of a glimpse of uh, the work of Open Doors in these countries and, uh, and then the, what's it, what it's like for Christians today. So maybe we could watch that now. Thank you. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators? Worship in secret. Sacrifice your safety. Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. And these are the top 10 countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number 10, Sudan. Unrest in Sudan has increased following a military coup. Violence and pressure against Christians have worsened. At number nine, Afghanistan. Following the Taliban takeover, those Christians who have not fled the country have been forced deep underground. If discovered, they face death. Iran is at number eight. Iranian house churches are seen as a threat by the Islamist regime. Church members who are caught are given long prison sentences. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistan's infamous blasphemy laws are often used to target believers. Christian women and girls are vulnerable to kidnap and forced marriage. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than in all the other countries of the world combined and the violence is getting worse. Number five, Libya. In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. At number four is Eritrea. 
Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living, powerful, defiant. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Where Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. And where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Every day around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them? gives you a little glimpse into the work of um, Open Doors and it's such a privilege and honour to serve and be part of that ministry, uh, serving our brothers and sisters and uh, I get to travel as well to go and meet with them and actually be there in different countries and I tell you every time we go they say please will you thank those who've stood with us, who've supported us in prayer because without them we're not sure that we'll be able to keep going and uh, so thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. And I just want to encourage you to keep going. Because uh, as we stand with them, I tell you what, our faith grows too. And I hope this morning as we uh, have a little look at um, just a few things, that it, your faith will be inspired and encouraged uh, this morning. I know that you've been going through uh, the Beatitudes. And uh, maybe uh, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, starting in verse 10. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way you persecuted the prophets, who were before you. So you've gone through all the other Beatitudes. You've been going through this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And all the others, there's, you know, when you look at blessed are those who who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those uh, who are merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. They all kind of make sense, don't they? There's something about it which you kind of think, oh, 
yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they're, they're blessed. But when you, when you read about blessed are the persecuted, I mean, it doesn't quite add up, does it? It doesn't sound like much of a blessing to be persecuted, does it? And yet Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, trying to tell those that were listening to him, that actually it is a blessing. And there's two points that I'd like to bring out. I don't know if they come on the screen, but the first one is this, that Jesus warned that anyone who followed him could face persecution. In John 15, 20, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus warned that persecution would happen, that people would face persecution. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, in fact, everyone, think that might include me, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's kind of something that goes hand in hand with following Jesus. Persecution to us here may look a bit different to what we just saw on the screen there just now. You know, our lives may not be threatened. We may not have to go to prison for following Jesus. But you know what? We might upset someone. We might, we might lose a friend. A member of our family might decide they don't want to talk to us anymore. And it comes because we are willing to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for following me, for righteousness. The second thing is this. Jesus said, whenever you face persecution, rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. You know, the initial deciding to follow Jesus isn't necessarily the hard part, not the difficult bit. But the hard part is deciding if I'm willing to follow Jesus, if Jesus is worth suffering for. And many of our brothers and sisters have to make that decision. I used to think, you know, that following Jesus, if I follow Jesus, if I, if I lived a good life, if I tried to do the right thing, okay, I might mess up now and again, but if I, you know, if I repent of my sin and ask him to forgive me and cleanse me, if I follow him, if I live for him, then, hey, life's going to go well for me. And actually, there is, there is a certain amount of truth to that. Yes, we can, you know, there is a blessing that comes through following Jesus. But also, Jesus doesn't say that we're, we're free from any form of suffering or any form of persecution. I, I remember, um, just, I don't often tell short stories about myself, but um, uh, just for some reason this morning, I feel I should, so I'm going to. When, when, um, when we were expecting our first child, Ruby, who I mentioned, who's in the wheelchair in, in Ikea, um, my wife developed preeclampsia, and uh, it was Christmas Day, and we had to go into hospital, and um, I wasn't expecting to go to hospital on Christmas Day. She wasn't due to give birth till end of January. And uh, we went into this ward, and they... Um, they did some tests on her, tried to find, do a heart trace on, on our daughter in the womb, and they found the heart trace, but then about five minutes later, they, they, they lost the heart trace. And um, they called someone in, and they said, oh, I think we're going to have to get her out pretty quick. So um, she was rushed down to the um, theatre, 
And I remember uh, sitting outside. They said, look, I'm sorry you can't go in. This is an emergency. We have to get your child out quick. And uh, I remember just sitting thinking, God, what is going on here? This was not supposed to happen. God, what's happening here? Why, why is this happening to me? And I just felt, it, it, it was, I was probably there for about half an hour, but it felt like days. I just remember God just bringing, giving me a peace that I couldn't describe, couldn't explain, but just recognizing God was there in the midst of that difficult time that I had at that moment. You know, sometimes we do go through challenging times. Sometimes we, don't, we do go through those things. And it's not because God's abandoned us. Oh, have we lost? Okay, I'm still there. It's not that he's, um, it's not that he's punishing us. It's not that we, we've done something wrong and thinking, oh, you know, sometimes we go through challenging times and it's because he's refining us. He's purifying us. He's bringing, he's bringing gold out of us and that's what our brothers and sisters around the world teach us that actually we go through suffering we go through challenging times because God is working in us he's doing something far greater than we could ever realize at the time but God is doing something he's shaping us he's transforming us and 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 so that's why Jesus said whenever you face persecution rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Not necessarily great is our reward right now in this life. But, but great is, is your reward in heaven. That day when we get to be with Jesus for eternity. That's the thing that we're looking forward to. And for many of our brothers and sisters, that's, what that's the hope that they cling on to. That one day they'll be with him. You know, I'm sure our, our, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Turkey and, um, and Syria... They, last Sunday, they probably were sat in their churches not knowing what was going to happen on Monday morning. And today, who knows where they are, that lots of their churches are. I, I spoke to a pastor actually online just to, this week from Turkey who was saying our whole city is gone. But we've been speaking to some guys also in Syria. We've been in Syria for many years. With um, The church there has gone through so, so much. And then this. And I'm sure some of them are thinking, God, what is going on? But I'd say, I just wonder if I could, could we play that little video? This is um, a church in Syria who they, they weren't able to... Um, to turn the lights on, it was dark. It was uh, they, so the only way that they could read the words of the songs they were singing was using the light on their mobile phone. And this was how they met just after the uh, the day after the earthquake on Tuesday, um, after losing some of them losing loved ones. But they decided to meet together to worship Jesus. And this is a, just a little clip of them doing it with um, the, the lights of their camera with their phones. So could we? Can you quickly show that?
The words of the song are, Our land is thirsty, it's filled with wounds. The flood of your love will heal her. The touch of your hand will fix and restore it back to yourself. This is our hope in you, our Lord. They still have hope, friends, even though all they're going through. And um, just encourage you, maybe, I wonder if we could take a moment, actually, even just now, just uh, into the stillness and the quietness of our own hearts, just to lift up our brothers and sisters in Syria and Turkey today. Let's just take a moment of quiet just to remember them and ask God to be with them and strengthen and bless them today. Father, we lift our brothers and sisters up to you in Syria and Turkey this morning. Lord, let them know that you're there. Give them strength, we pray. Lord, those who are mourning this morning, we pray that you would you'd be with them. You'd minister to them. You'd bring healing to them. Lord, those who've lost everything, Lord, let them know afresh that God's you are their provider. That you've not abandoned them, you've not forgotten them. That you're there and you will redeem, you will heal, you will restore. Thank you for them, Lord. We pray your blessing on them today. Help them to be salt and light, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, um, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's, what's happened to Paul? Paul is in, he's in, uh, under house arrest. He's arrested. He's um, chained to um, one of the palace guards. These are one of the highest ranking officers of the day. But he says it's served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, isn't that remarkable? It just seems in God's economy, it's like everything gets turned around. Paul is in prison for, or in house, under house arrest for leading the church, for being a, a follower of Jesus. And the, the, the church has become more confident in declaring the gospel. I wonder if you could just put yourselves in, in their position for a moment. And just imagine John as, as leader of Oasis Community Church, as the pastor here. 
He's arrested, put in prison for leading the church. And, and the police come here and they stand before you and you say, if you continue meeting like this, if you continue telling people about Jesus, then you'll be arrested too and put in prison. Would that make you more confident in sharing your faith or less confident? Interesting, isn't it? Well, here in, in Philippi, they became more confident. They dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And the incredible thing is, friends, when I go and visit some of our brothers and sisters who live in countries where they face high or extreme levels of persecution, there's a confidence in God that is incredible. And I, I get challenged to the core in my own faith when I see that. Because I'm like, God, make me more like that. Make me courageous in the way I live for you, in the way I'm, in the way I'm willing to stand for you and be counted. I'd love to just share a couple of stories with you, if I may, and uh, then we'll pray together. The first one is uh, a man named Wang Ming Dao from China. Wang Ming Dao, uh, was, he was a pastor of a church of several secret churches, underground churches, and he was put into prison um, during the Cultural Revolution in China, and he was given 22 and a half years sentence. 22 and a half years. His only crime is he loves Jesus. And uh, he said he found it really tough. And towards the end of his sentence, one of the, the guards came into his cell and said, Wang Ming Dao, sign this declaration where you deny your faith in Jesus and we'll set you free. And I think they must have caught him just at a, you know, one of those moments when he's probably thinking about his, his family, his wife, his children, his friends, the churches that he's left behind. And probably think, oh, if I could just get out, I'll go and be with them. And he signed the document, and he walked out of the prison, a free man. And he said, oh, he was walking down the road, and he realized he made a terrible mistake. So he turned around, and he went back to the prison, and he said to them, he said, he said tear that document up. He said, I will follow Jesus for the rest of my life. You can do whatever you want to me, but I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus. They put him back in prison. They sentenced him to another 22 and a half years. And he said, I found it really hard. He said, I had those kind of arguments with God where I said, God, you've called me to be an evangelist. And I'm here in a cell on my own. They, he was in solitary confinement. He said, he said that the, they didn't even come to bring food to him. They would just slide it through a little hole um, in the door. He said, God, how can I be an evangelist here in this cell? And as he was praying, he heard a noise coming from the corner of his cell. So he went over to it. He realized he could hear people in other cells. And um, it, was, um, it was where the toilet was, uh, not a toilet as we know it, just a little hole in the ground. And he realized that the, the sewage pipes were connected to all the other cells. So he decided every day, he was going to preach the gospel down the toilet. And he did this for 17 years. They let him out, um, not out of prison, but into like um, just outside for the first time after 17 years of this. And he, as he was speaking with some of the other inmates, he heard, I mean, there were maybe more, but he discovered 94 prisoners had given their life to Jesus. 
Isn't that incredible? Friends, if God can do that through Wang Min Dao in a Chinese prison where he's not able to see anyone, what could God do through you and me? He said this, he said these words, which again astounded me. He said, I had no Bible, no pulpit, no audience, no pen and paper. I could do nothing, nothing except except get to know God. And for 20 years, that was the greatest relationship I'd ever known. He said, when I was in the cell, the only thing I was focused on was getting to know Jesus. It was only me and him in that cell. Then he said this. He said, you need to build yourself a cell where it's only you and Jesus. He recognized that where the power was, it was in those, that, 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 that fellowship, that friendship, that relationship with Jesus. Friends, we need to build ourselves a cell. Wang Mindao was forced into his cell. We're not forced. But where's that time that we spend with Jesus? What does that look like for you? It might be a room in your house or a chair in your house that when you're sat there, you know that's that special time with you and Jesus. Or it might be a walk. I love to walk in the country and, and uh, living in the city. It's nice to be able to get out and go, and, uh, go climb a hill or something just to go and spend that time with God. But friends, where is that cell for you? Where's that place where it's just you and Jesus? The final story I'd love to share with you is a man named Bahia from Turkmenistan. And I met him a few years ago. Turkmenistan used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And he said it was, uh, he, he, was a, he grew up as a Muslim and he said he found it really hard um, under communism as a Muslim, as a young man. And he said one day an evangelist, a Christian evangelist came to his town. And he said he followed him around from house to house. They, they were secret churches that he was going to. And some reason he was allowed to follow him and he went and followed him all around the different houses. And he said, I heard him preach the gospel. And he said, I knew that he was telling the truth. And he said at three o'clock in the morning, he got down on his knees and, and with tears rolling down his face, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he said the change in him was so dramatic that he knew that he had to tell others about Jesus. And so he told his friends, his family. He said many of them became followers of Jesus too. And he planted several um, house churches, secret churches. His best friend came to him one day and said, Bahia, you need to stop telling people about Jesus or I'll report you to the police. And he knew he meant it, and he knew he wouldn't. He knew that it's illegal to to show your faith in Turkmenistan. But he said to his friend, he said, how can I stop telling people about Jesus? He's done so much for me. He's forgiven me. Not only has he forgiven me, but he's wiped all that away clean. He said he's given me a hope and a future. I know that one day I'll be with him for eternity. He said, how can I stop telling people about Jesus? And so he carried on. He ended up in prison where he was tortured and beaten every day for his faith. He said that um, they put him in the electric chair five times. And each time they said to him, deny your faith and we'll, we'll, we'll take you out. 
And each time he refused to deny his faith in Jesus, his friend was there and said to him, but here, I told you, I told you to stop telling people about Jesus, but you wouldn't listen. He said one day he was beaten so badly that he, was, he thought he was going to die. And he said the officer put his foot inside of his mouth and was pushing his head against the concrete floor. And he said to Bahia, Bahia, this mouth will never speak the name of Jesus again. And then he took his foot out of his mouth and Bahia looked up at this man with the little bit of energy left in his body. He said to him, you can stop me talking about Jesus, but you can never change what Jesus has done in my heart. And with that, he was released two weeks later. He said, I think they gave up on me. They just didn't know what else to do. He was deported to another country where now he works for an incredible organization called Sat7 who broadcast um, the Christian message all over the Muslim world. And uh, he said, every day I have the opportunity to tell people the good news of Jesus. But he said his best friend who reported him to the police and the one responsible for him going through all that suffering phoned him up. I don't know how he got his phone number, but he did. He phoned him up and he said, but here I need to come and see you. And Bahia said, it's Christmas coming up. Why don't you spend Christmas with me and my family? I mean, talk about forgiveness. And he, he went to his Bahia uh, for Christmas, and he had Christmas with his family. And he said, Bahia, my life has fallen apart. He said, I became really ill. Um, so I couldn't work, so I lost my job. He said, I became an alcoholic. He said, my wife, family left me. He said, my life's fallen apart. He said, the difference between you and me is that when you needed your God, he was there for you. But when I needed my God, he wasn't there. Will you introduce me to your God? And Bahia had the privilege of leading his friend to faith in Jesus. I said to Bahia, Bahia, that's it's such an incredible story. Story. Would you mind if I told, tell your story to churches in England when I get to go and speak? And he said, yeah, of course you can. But he said, make me a promise. And I said, okay, what's the promise? He said, every time you tell my story, will you tell them this? He said, if I had to go through all that pain and suffering again, I would. And then he said... Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Friends, that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Jesus is worth it. He's worth giving it all for. He's worth taking a few risks for. Whatever we're facing, whatever trials, whatever situations are coming your way right Friends, let's not give up following Jesus. He's worth it. Shall we pray together? Jesus, thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for just reminding us this morning of your extravagant love and grace for us.
Jesus, thank you that you're worth following. You're worth giving it all for. Jesus, I thank you for my friends here at Oasis Community Church. Thank you for the, uh, just their vision for um, communities, missional communities here in Stratford. Lord, I pray that you would bless them in that. Lord, I pray that they will see you do incredible things through them. Lord, that lives will be transformed. Lord Jesus, thank you that it starts with us being willing to take a risk. Being willing to follow you. Because you're worth it. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. People like Bahia who are in prison right now because they love you and they're willing to follow you and take the risk. Lord, would you be with them? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them what they need to keep going today? Father, would you help them to be aware that they're not alone, that you're with them, that they have brothers and sisters around the world who are praying for them, even here in Stratford right now. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here in Oasis Community Church, fill them afresh. Fill them afresh. Give them all they need to keep running the race, to keep following you, to cling on to you no matter what. 